We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. At the 15th. Well, that was movie-esque. That was Hollywood-esque. The hole-in-one by Michael Block, the 46-year-old head pro at a public golf club in Mission Viejo, California, drilled a hole-in-one in the final round of the PGA Championship yesterday on the back nine, a number 15, a 151-yard par three. Uh, His story all weekend was documented. Not only was he going to be the low club pro, club pros play in the PGA event, he was the only one that made the cut. And then he wasn't, you know, at at the top of the leaderboard, but was in the top 10 to 15 range all weekend long, finished in the top 15, guaranteeing his uh, spot next year uh, at Valhalla, where the PGA Championship will be contested. And he also is getting a wild card this coming week into the Charles Schwab challenge uh, due to the incredible uh, name that he made for himself in the top 15 finish. Um, but that hole-in-one was incredible. And then his up and down at 18 was crazy uh, as well. Um, really good story. Uh, and by all accounts, a hell of a guy. Uh, Brooks Kepka won the PGA Championship. And that was a big story uh, in its own right. Uh, Kepka on his uh, way off the course yesterday, uh, ran into Block and said, I hear you're buying. Um, anytime you have a hole-in-one, I've never had one, uh, it is your responsibility to pick up the tab for all the drinks uh, in the uh, in the bar. Um, but what a story Michael Block was uh, this weekend. And Brooks Kepka winning the PGA Championship, um, his fifth, fifth major, uh, now in the top 20 of all-time majors. Uh, what a story Brooks Kepka and this comeback has been off of the injury that he had. Uh, we will talk uh, about Brooks Kepka and the PGA a little bit with Barry's Verluga, who will be on the show today. He's coming up in the next segment. Lots on the Washington football uh, team uh, and new ownership and 
the current state of uh, the sale process, et cetera. Barry's Verluga up next. And then Neil in Rockville, uh, one of our legal contributors on the show, along with Howard Gutman, he'll join us to talk about this $500 billion, $500 billion lawsuit from Brian Davis, uh, brought by Brian Davis against Bank of America. Remember, Brian Davis was one of those names uh, that was out there. He did a radio appearance um, with the Junkies on 106.7 The Fan, uh, apparently ready to plop down $7 billion for the team. Uh, Didn't work out for him, and now he is suing Bank of America. I'll be honest with you, I'm not really familiar with the details of this lawsuit, which is why I asked Neil and Rockville to jump on with us because I thought Neil uh, could help us a bit. Um, Speaking of the football team, uh, it was reported last night that Washington is unlikely to be penalized for the Andrew Luck tampering uh, allegation. Uh, Remember in the story that Kime wrote, there was some suggestion that in the process of you know, crossing all T's and dotting all I's in their quarterback search last offseason that they may have reached out to Andrew Luck uh, illegally based on league rules, and it could have been a tampering thing. And uh, Jim Irsay uh, said he wanted the league to look into it. Well, the Post, uh, Mark Maskey, Nikki Javala both reporting uh, that the commanders are unlikely to face any penalties stemming from those allegations involving uh, Andrew Luck. Um, so that's good news. Uh, they're not going to, Dan Snyder's not going to leave us with a parting gift of like two draft choices docked from the 2024 draft. It doesn't look like uh, that will happen. Um, and I think, you know, John Kime um, really uh, kind of came clean with, the, you know, the, uh, the idea that maybe the wording of his story indicated that perhaps Washington had reached out to Andrew Luck rather than it just being more of a throwaway line uh, by them. And, and John, um, who's such a great writer and has done such a great job covering the team, uh, he felt like um, there wasn't going to be anything that came uh, of it either. Uh, just a reminder uh, to all of you to rate us and review us whenever you have a chance, especially on Apple, especially on Apple and Spotify. Also, follow us on Apple and Spotify. That's a big help. Uh, the follow button is in the upper right-hand corner of the podcast app on iPhones. And on Spotify, it's on the left-hand side, uh, about halfway down the left side of the um, of the Spotify app when you're listening to uh, podcasts. Uh, and rating us and review us is helpful as well. Uh, a few reviews, Apple podcast reviews to read. This one from He 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 He. Kevin and Tom are the best in D.C. podcasting. Best show ever talking about Tom's summer vacation plans. Can't wait to hear about August with the in-laws in Spain. Yeah, we conducted business on one of the shows last week uh, where Tom broke the news that he's taking all of August off. Um, and there's, there are other days he's taking off as well. He can take off whenever he wants. Um and uh, And tonight, speaking of Tommy, tonight is... His DC Grays Cigars and Curveballs fundraiser at 
Shelly's Back Room. 6 to 8 p.m. Tickets are $100. Uh, it's, a, it's a $100 donation. They can be purchased at dcgrays.com. Uh, there are great uh, auction uh, items uh, at the event. I'll be down there. A lot of the people that you listen to on this podcast will be down there as well. So join us uh, at Shelly's uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, tonight. Um, but anyway, uh, there's a couple of other reviews I wanted to read. This one from Sean Tucci. Uh, now, Kevin, you know Doc is going to be pulling for Kaz Allen, another Bruin. Yeah, that one is a no-brainer, LOL. Uh, thank you, by the way, for the five stars. Uh, that is helpful. Yeah, Kaz Allen is the undrafted free agent that the team signed from UCLA. I had him on the radio show last week, and I think he's got a really good chance uh, to make an impression and maybe make this team as the kick returner and the punt returner. He has incredible vision. He is built to return, um, but UCLA used him in a lot of other ways as well. They used him as a running back. They used him as a receiver in the slot and on the outside. They used him in a lot of different packages offensively. Um, I think Kaz Allen was definitely one of those guys that they really wanted right when the draft ended, and they got him. Um, And he saw the opportunity here. He mentioned that to me last week on radio uh, to uh, to snag the job uh, as kick returner and punt returner. Uh, I think Antonio Gibson does a pretty good job as a kick returner, um, but Dax Milne, um, you know, caught him. Uh, he didn't fumble any, uh, but there was no threat of flipping uh, the field uh, either. Um, one more quick football note uh, here before we get started uh, on the show because I do want to talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs from over the weekend, and then we'll get to Barry. So Chris Sims, former NFL quarterback, um, Chris does you know a lot of uh, media with NBC Sports, part of that Sunday night crew. I think he's part of the Sunday night crew. Chris has done something every year, uh, for the last several years anyway, this time of year, where he gives his top 40 quarterback countdown. Um, and he, uh, he basically does it over the course of like a week, uh, or maybe it's a little bit longer where he goes from 40 to one. Um, and he's ranking the quarterbacks for the upcoming season, the way he sees them. And, you know, uh, as an example, some people believe that he really is a sharp, super sharp opinion. Now, last year, was perhaps a little bit off. Um, As an example, he had Jalen Hurts ranked as the 25th best quarterback heading in to last season. Had Carson Wentz at 19. Had Jimmy Garoppolo ahead of Jalen Hurts. Had Zach Wilson ahead of Jalen Hurts. Uh, Had Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield, um, and a few others, uh, including Matt Ryan in Indianapolis, ahead of Jalen Hurts. So he missed on Jalen Hurts last year. Uh, his rankings last year, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers were his top five. And as I mentioned, he had Carson Wentz at 19, which is kind of where I think most reasonably objective people had Carson Wentz entering last season. You know, he was not a top half of the league quarterback. I think I had him at 20, somewhere around there, maybe 19. I can't remember specifically. I remember not having him in the top half of the league. That was for sure. Um, I remember my producer at the time, Brendan, and I did 
um, I think, the Sims list, and we came up with where we thought Carson Wentz was. And I think Brendan had him at, like, 24, and I think I had him at, like, 20 or 19. Um, But anyway, I bring up the Chris Sims list because the 2023 list is underway, and many of you have sent it to me. The list is a few quarterbacks in. Number 40 out of the 40 quarterbacks that he ranked is Desmond Ritter, the Atlanta quarterback. Number 39 is Sam Howell. So next to last, a lot of you had major problems with it, which is why you sent it to me, I'm sure. Um, That is the reason that you sent it to me. Um, And so... He's through the top 31 at this point. He had Sam Howell at 39. He had Bryce Young. He hasn't taken a snap ahead of Sam Howell. C.J. Stroud ahead of Sam Howell. Anthony Richardson ahead of Sam Howell. He had Mike White, the former Jet backup who is now in Miami at 35. He had Gardner Minshew at 34. And then he had Taylor Heineke at 33. Jarrett Stidham at 32 and Jordan Love at 31. That's what I have so far on his list. I think he's through 40 through 31. So his, you know, first 10 or bottom 10. So he's got Taylor Heineke is better than Sam Howell and Taylor Heineke better than Desmond Ritter, who is the starting quarterback in Atlanta. Look, these are lists. This is the time of the year that we get lists. I would not get overly worked up over the Sam Howell ranking. I don't know where you would want him ranked. He played in one football game. He was a fifth-round pick, regardless of how high you think he should have been picked. If he had been in this year's draft, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, all more likely than not, would have been taken in front of him. So they're in front of him on this list. Uh, do I think Taylor Heineke's better than Sam Howell? I have no idea if he's better than Sam Howell. I think Sam Howell's talent is greater than Taylor Heineke's. His arm talent is for sure better than Taylor Heineke's. I think Sam Howell's mobility is equal to and maybe more willing than Taylor Heineke's. Um, some of you, I can hear you saying right now, well, that was a Scott Turner thing. Okay. He had opportunities to run, and he didn't. I I thought Taylor Heineke became a little bit too cautious at times last year. But perhaps it was, you know, them saying, we don't have a backup for you. Don't get hurt. You know, I remember that was part of the conversation last year, why Taylor Heineke wasn't running as much as he had in 2021, was they didn't have a backup for him. But, you know, the offseason would suggest that they knew they had a backup all along that Sam Howell was the backup, and they weren't even concerned at all with Sam Howell. But, you know, these are – this is one person's opinion. I, think, I actually think Chris Sims has a pretty sharp opinion um, for, you know, among the list of, uh, you know, ex-quarterbacks who are now NFL analysts. Um, but that's where he has Sam Howell. He's got Sam Howell at 39 and he's got Taylor Heineke six spots in front of him at 33. For you Taylor Heineke people, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. And that is, why didn't we just sign Taylor Heineke and have those two? Why didn't we pay Taylor Heineke less, more than Atlanta paid him, but less than what we paid Jacoby Brissett, and then we would you know, have a legitimate competition in training camp? Well, I would answer that with... Um, 
what do you want to do? Do you want to go seven and ten again? Do you want to go eight, eight and one again? Um, it wasn't good enough with him last year. Um, and the unknown is Sam Howell. And the known you have on your roster right now in Jacoby Brissett is better than the known that you would have had coming back, in my opinion, than Taylor Heineke. All right. Uh, good weekend for the Nats. Um, they took two out of the three with Detroit uh, over the weekend. Uh, you know, after four losses in a row, all of them super close. Um, it was a good weekend. Josiah Gray yesterday, just one earned run and five uh, innings pitched uh, and a 6-4 win over the Tigers. Uh, and then in the Saturday win, the 5-2 to two win uh, over the Tigers, uh, it was another Patrick Corbin uh, gem. I mean, this guy has turned it around. Six innings pitched, two earned runs. Uh, on six hits, uh, his ERA now has dropped from at one point early in the season, it was eight, and it's now down to a season low 4.47. And he's won three out of his last four starts. Uh, and his ERA in the last four starts is 2.88. Good for Patrick Corbin for figuring it out. All right, I do want to talk uh, about the NBA here briefly, the NBA playoff games that we haven't talked about since the Friday show. Friday night, the Heat winning in Boston, 111-105. to My God. I mean, Boston just crumbling uh, down the stretch. We did talk about that, actually. We talked about this game uh, on Saturday because we did a Saturday podcast, uh, Tommy and I did, uh, on Saturday to talk about Tommy's column on Jason Wright being the first person that Josh Harris should seek out uh, and get rid of. Uh, if you missed that podcast, that was Saturday's podcast. All right, so May twentieth, um, we did a you know a fifty-eight minute to hour-long podcast and talked a lot about Tommy's column. But we did, I'm remembering now, we did talk about the Friday uh, night game. Um, On Saturday, uh, it was Denver, man, again. This is the best team in the NBA. Uh, This is one of the more, I think, appealing teams for old-school basketball fans, old-school NBA fans to watch in a long, long time. Uh, They share the ball. They are unselfish like no other team in the league. Uh, Jokic may be the most selfless superstar in the game. Jamal Murray is a legitimate superstar. He had 23 uh, of his team's points uh, in Game 2, in the Game 2 win over the Lakers. And on Friday, uh, on Saturday night, he had 30 in the first half. Uh, Jokic did not play a great game, although played an excellent fourth quarter where he went for 15 and kind of took the game over in the fourth quarter, had some uh, great assists as well. And they went into L.A. on a juiced-up night in L.A., and they won 119-108. to They are just flat-out better than the Lakers. They were flat-out better than Phoenix. Denver's the best team in the league, and we're on the verge of getting Denver and Miami because Miami beat the Celtics down last night, and my God, was that an embarrassing performance for the Boston Celtics. We've talked about Joe Missoula enough. He actually afterwards admitted that he did not have his team ready to play the game. I think that's the first time I've heard him admit that maybe he's in you know, a bit over his head and that some of these issues have been his, like not calling a timeout during a 46.3rd quarter uh, last week against the Heat. 
um, like taking uh, a timeout with him into the locker room when it was a two-possession game with eight seconds to go in game two. But the Miami Heat absolutely obliterated Boston last night, uh, and they did it with everybody contributing. It wasn't just a Jimmy Butler show, and it hasn't been every night for them when they've won. They've gotten really good uh, balance. Last night it was Gabe Vincent going off for 29, a career high. He was 6 of 9 from behind the arc. They shot 57% from the floor, 54.3% from behind the arc. Duncan Robinson was 5 of 7 from deep, but he also was a really good creator when they were trying to run him off the three-point line. Uh, they are just, you know, this is a mismatch of wits on the bench. Spolster is one of the best. Missoula's new, inexperienced, and in way over his head. But beyond that, my God, show some heart. Jason Tatum, you know, I know he had 51 in Game 7 against Philadelphia a week ago. But, man, he has had some performances that have just left you shaking your head. Like, you've got to strap the team to your back down 2-0 uh, after losing two at home. And he had 14 points on 6 of 18 shooting. Had three or four turnovers. Uh, Jalen Brown was an absolute mess last night. He was over from behind the arc. There were a couple of shots he took that were just horrendous shots. Um, Boston is more talented than almost anybody in the league. Uh, but they are not um, a, a team that plays well together. They're not a well-coached team, and they're not a team with a lot of heart right now. Uh, Miami, I'd be surprised now if they don't complete the sweep tomorrow night, and I think Denver will complete the sweep tonight. I know two sweeps in the conference finals is not what you want, you know, when you've been talking about how great these playoffs have been, but even though ABC doesn't want Denver-Miami, I think it's going to be the best matchup. I think these are two teams that are selfless, that play basketball the right way, that have superstars on their teams. Um, And even though I'm sure ABC would have paid for Boston LA or Boston Phoenix, uh, I think we're going to get Miami-Denver. We're going to get it uh, with a little bit of a layoff because I think the uh, finals are earmarked for a June 1st start date regardless of whether or not this – these conference finals are over uh, by tomorrow night. I'm sure that Boston and L.A. are going to get the benefit of the whistle tonight and tomorrow night. If you're thinking in terms of that, I would not touch either one of these games. But uh, if you're thinking of you know the conspiracy uh, NBA, um, Boston and L.A. are going to get the benefit of the whistle to try to extend these uh, conference finals to beyond Uh, two sweeps. Uh, So look for that tonight in LA and tomorrow night in Miami. All right, up next, Barry's Verluga will be my guest right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, jumping on with us right now is our friend Barry Zverluga from the Washington Post. You can follow Barry on Twitter at Barry Zverluga, S-V-R-L-U-G-A. How many times do people get the spelling of your last name uh, correct on the first try? I mean, 0.0, I would guess. Yeah, it's probably um, somewhere it's, around But it's, it's, I don't get annoyed by it because it's... I, have to if you live your life with that name you have to realize it's unusual and you're going to be spelling it for people a lot so yeah well, no issues you know what it's actually easier to, it's 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 easy to pronounce um i get a lot of shehan um i've gotten that my right. whole life instead of shehan and of course you know since 2010 i've gotten Shanahan, um, as in uh, I'm part of the the Shanahan family because I was fans of them. Uh, I think I actually had good reason to be fans of them, don't you? Even in hindsight. Oh, for sure, absolutely. I mean, if you think of where Kyle is now and where what he was doing then, and and you know, there was a lot of interpersonal drama, and and that's probably um, you can spread the blame around there, but in terms of innovation with um, RG3 and, and the offense that they ran, I mean, that was that was next-level stuff. But they, Mike had his time as, a, as an innovator, and I think he let Kyle um, develop the same way, and, and he didn't hire Kyle until he had gone and, and coached elsewhere, which he did in Houston under Gary Kubiak, so um, yeah, man, I mean, I, that, that's a it, did it work out with a bunch of playoff appearances in a row? No, but they did some pretty some pretty cool stuff while they were here. So, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, if the organization under Josh Harris is a normal functioning NFL organization, um, which we haven't had here for 24 years, and someone didn't, you know, sort of uh, witness what happened here over the last quarter century, how would you describe it to them? Oh, man. I mean, imagine a kid who grew up a fan of the team, but then really didn't evolve past being 10 or 12 or 14 intellectually and how they how they um, operated the team. And, and that person was allowed to run it for a quarter of a century being impulsive and vindictive and unpredictable and, you know, in some cases mean. I mean, that's what Dan Snyder did with this franchise for, again, close to a quarter of a a century. It's like, you know, you think that the the local kid buying the team is a good thing because, you know, he would share the passions that the fan base does. And that's, you know, what you have with Josh Harris in, in the second attempt at this, right? But I think there's a a belief, a hope 
and probably a reasonable hope that um, that the new owner will run it fundamentally differently than the old owner, and it won't be based on emotion and what's the next shiny object in front of my face. It will be based on reasoned adult business decisions, um, because that's not what has happened over, over the previous 24 years. So it, it, I, I don't think, you know, I've always thought that the Dan Snyder ownership of, of this franchise is a book, because just you putting it on, um, it's hard to fathom how much has gone on here. I just don't think it's a very fun book to write, because it's just relentlessly here's a negative thing that happened. Here's a negative thing that happened. Here's a negative thing that happened that impacted these people negatively. Um, it just is, you know, you put it all in a, a, a trough and it, 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 um, it kind of has a stench to it. Yeah. But you do think there will be some sort of book or some sort of 30 for 30 or an HBO, you know, sports documentary on the Snyder reign in Washington. I mean, you know, I've mentioned, and I know you mentioned to me the last time we talked that you've described it the same way, but for the last eight, nine years, I've described it as something that should be a case study at Wharton or at HBS that, you know, he ruined the unruinable. It is, you know, a fascinating story because it was so impossible to pull off in 1999. Absolutely. I mean, you couldn't, you could not have told you in 1999 that in 24 years um this fan base will not be able to or this franchise will not be able to fill its own stadium it will be last in the league in attendance both by actual number and percentage of capacity the ratings will be down the um sundays will not be an event like like they were the stadium will be if it is filled it will be filled mostly with opposing uh fans and um you know as you brought in the new century on new year's eve 2000 um and say you know you're also only going to have one playoff victory in the next 23 seasons that's incomprehensible i mean it just makes it makes no sense um this is a a pillar of a franchise a franchise that um helped make the nfl into inarguably the most um, important and powerful and lucrative professional league in in this country, um, and it just it you you couldn't have convinced anybody that um, in in a little over two decades, um, and actually it didn't even take that long to to kind of ruin it. It probably took twelve to fifteen years to really get it to the point where um, it's it was at the depths. You, you couldn't have convinced anybody that that one guy could kind of have that sort of impact on, on a, a product that was just, you know, impenetrable and, 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 um, you know, just so strong for so long. In all seriousness though, don't you think it's a really good book for somebody to write? When I say that for sure, I just don't want to be the one to do it. I mean, I've kind of said like I could write down, I could sit down after we get off the phone and write down a hundred names of a hundred people who would be willing to help on a Dan Snyder book in terms of, I had, I worked there. I had direct contact with them. I know what it was like to be there. Um, and then just start calling those a hundred people. I just, I don't find it. I don't 
when I think of it, I don't think that would be a fun project for me. If somebody else wants to do it, go for it because it is a it's a worthwhile <laughs> yeah. story. But but not for you. Um, I I wonder, first of all, I don't think he'll write a book. Uh, I don't think he'd participate in anything. That's just my my hunch. Um, But I wonder if there's anything in there that would be redeeming for him. Man... I don't know. I mean, charity. They were they, they were pretty strong in the community with charitable yes. contributions, yes. And I right? Think Tanya's story with breast cancer is compelling, and and they have done um, good work in that area. But it, you know, if you if you talk about being out in the community, and interacting with people, and really understanding um, what the issues are, I, I don't think that. They really have a leg. People that have been involved in sports around here for a long time, they don't have, the the ones that I've talked to, they don't have a relationship with Dan and Tanya Snyder. They don't go to the same events and and, um, talk about, you know, the issues that being in sports in this town or in sports in general, um, and then, you know, using that as a, as a way in to help the, the city and, you know, the whole, the whole area, there's no commonality, at least with people that I've talked to that say, well, Dan and Tanya, you know, really want to get in and dig in on X, Y, and Z issue. That's, that's facing the, the community. So I'm not trying to take away from the breast cancer stuff and some of the foundation stuff like that, that, that can be real, but I also don't think it's a, um, that's an issue that touched their lives. They don't yeah. look at it like, um, okay, what is affecting other people that we not, might not be aware of? How can we help in X, Y, and Z way? I mean, the list that all of us from, you know, the outside looking in, but much more attuned to what's going on here than maybe, you know, people from outside the market would say, you know, things like, you know, the organization's charitable um, you know, uh, involvement. They would say the way Dan handled the Sean Taylor tragedy. Um, and then they would say he brought Joe Gibbs back here in 2004. I mean, that is really the list. And, and on the, on the last part, I've always felt that one of the more fascinating finds, um, and I don't think anybody will ever get it out of them is to find out what Joe Gibbs really thought of Dan Snyder. Well, I mean, you're not going to get it out of him unless he's saying what he actually believes, which, you know, I, I liked Dan. I liked working for, for Dan. Um, and if you, if you think about the current situation, I mean, Joe Gibbs lives in the Charlotte area because that's where he runs his racing team. Ron Rivera was sitting in Charlotte as a fired head coach of the um, Carolina Panthers. And when Rivera started talking to Snyder about doing the job, he you know, got together with Gibbs and talked about what it's like to work for Snyder. And that certainly didn't scare um, Rivera away from this job. I, I've talked to um, Joe Gibbs about that very thing. And, and, you know, he is a complete, polished, public professional. Like yeah, he, kn- he knows how to get his message ac- across. And he's just not going to say something publicly negative about Dan Snyder. I don't know if that's because he absolutely has no negative things to say about him or if that's just what he's decided to present publicly, but 
I, I don't think if the book about Dan Snyder's ownership is written, my suspicion is it doesn't include a big chapter of here's what Joe Gibbs actually thought. Right. Um, and we know that Dan was, you know, significant in, you know, his annual involvement in Joe Gibbs's um, uh, foundation as well. So, uh, right. you know, how much, you know, I, I, I think if you do the back of the envelope math of the last 24 years, you can come to the conclusion that roughly two thirds of the fan base isn't there anymore. And if they are, it's very passive. Um, how much of what was lost can be salvaged with new ownership? I think a very, very high percentage, but that doesn't mean automatically. I mean, I think there are there are at least two categories of alienated fans. Um, those that were just done with Snyder, the I'm not giving any more, I'm not giving a single dollar more to that guy, um, and and they might be willing to come back just because the owner is not named Dan Snyder. And I think there's another one that's going to be um, more apprehensive, another you know segment of the fan base that will say, okay, good, that's, this is a step, but now I, I have learned not to trust ownership, and Josh Harris, you know, just not being Dan Snyder is not going to be enough. You've got to show me with results on the field. You've got to show me with results in um, stadium experience. Uh, you've got to show me in um, what are your plans and your ability to execute um, with, you know, either the district or Maryland or Virginia, a, a vision for a new stadium that I'm going to like. Um, so I, I, I don't, I think, I think you can get, you know, high 90 percentages of those fans back I do think, I wonder about, you know, you raise kids here, um, people, that, I know tons of people my age who who raised kids here. If you, if you have a kid who's 10 to 20 or, you know, in their early 20s, they don't know anything other than dysfunction and disappointment around this fan, fan uh, franchise. Did you lose them permanently because they became you know, Packers fans or, or whatever, whoever their favorite player was growing up, they decided, well, my local team is a joke, so I'm going to I'm gonna become a fan of, of someone else. I think that's possible. But in terms of the, the hardcore people who were alienated because of, of Snyder, I, I would think a high percentage could come back. Um, so what uh, what do we know today on May 22nd about the approval process? I mean, I, you know, I read Mark and Nikki from over the weekend, and I know they've been on this story and been doing a great job. Um, but and I know you're not covering it day to day in terms of the sale and and what's involved in in the you know next phase of this, which is you know finance committee and then league approval. But do you have a hunch on when this thing gets wrapped up and the deal gets closed and approved by the league, ratified by the league? Well, I mean, we know that the the league is meeting this week, and there's no expectation. Right. The owners are meeting this week, and there's no expectation there's going to be a vote there. I think Mark and and Nikki have. Um, Mark Maskey and Nikki Jabala from the Post have been very consistent in um, their reporting on, you know, just because I think there was a lot of celebration on the Friday afternoon when Josh Harris and Dan Snyder both announced that they had an agreement and it felt like 
that was the finish line. And in some ways, maybe it was. I, I know, you know, Mark and Nikki, even at that point, were very much like, this. it's not done until it's done. Um, I, I don't think that means there's pessimism that it it won't get done. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the, like, wait till the ink is dry uh, camp um, just because, I don't want to be overly pessimistic and I don't, I'm not saying I don't think this is going to be done, but because this character has a history of providing incredible disappointments, I, I, I think the celebration should wait until um, the ink is dry. I have full expe- expectation that that will be well before um, next season starts, but I, I'm not going to tell you you know, I think it's next week or, or two weeks from now or two months from now because I'm, I'm not, I'm just not 100% sure. So I was thinking about something over the weekend, um, and that is, you know, the, 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 what would be number one on my list would be to focus on, you know, getting somebody in here that is going to eventually either hire or is going to be the lead football person in your organization. To have, you know, a normal organization where you have somebody like a GM that's hired that he then decides on the coach and he decides on the players. And I was thinking about something over the weekend, like even if Josh Harris came in and said, well, we can't mess with the football thing right now, but I do want to bring in kind of an overseer, a, a, a VP of football ops. Um, and maybe he's got somebody in mind. I wonder if Rivera's contract allows for, I mean, Martin Mayhew is, you know, by title, the general manager, but Ron Rivera in this coach centric model is the head football decision maker. I wonder if that's in his contract and how that would work. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, what do you think Josh Harris's top priorities should be? Well, I think identifying that person, that the person who is the chief football officer, but is not the head coach, is that's the that's the most important person to identify. Um, because then you can go away from these like coach interviews at Dan Snyder's house that last like two days, and you stay in the guest house, and you get in a suit, and you you know, come on, like <laughs> that shouldn't be. The owner is welcome to be. Um, involved in yeah. uh, interviewing a head head coach. It's a big decision in, in football. It, it really dictates so much about what you do. Are you a defensive-oriented team? What sort of offense do you run? What style are uh, you? know, All of that is very, very associated with the head coach. So I'm not at all saying that the owner of the team should not right. have his hand in that. But I think the, the thing that I think the fan base is hoping – is exactly what you said. Like, can the new owner set up a system that would be regarded around the league as, as a normal kind of chain of command? And, and that would include um, having a football overseer who is in charge of the roster and all those. You want it to be in conjunction with the, the head coach. This is not kind of, you know, creating an island situation. But but you want a flow chart that makes sense and and goes from owner to chief football officer to head coach. Um, I think that's a huge huge um, decision and very important one. And I, I 
I don't know what Ron's contract says about that, but I think it would make, if, if Josh Harris has somebody in mind, it would make a heck of a lot of sense to get that person in here at training camp. You're not going to blow out the coaching staff, you know, but right before training camp opens, they've got a new offensive coordinator that is intriguing. Um, you know, we'll figure out this, whether this quarterback is uh, part of the problem or part of the solution at some point this year, but you would like them to get in and get their um, hands dug in on all aspects of the operation so that sound decisions can be made after 2023 headed into 2024. And whether that's like, Hey, Ron Rivera really hit on, on something here and, and they took major strides and, and, um, and we're going to keep him or, I suspect the most more likely outcome is there are some really good pieces on this roster and, and the cupboard is not completely bare, but to really accomplish what we want to accomplish, we're going to make a change at, at head coach and, and, um, and go forward from, from there. But I, I think it would be great if 2024 could be an investigation. I mean, 2023 could be a, an investigation season for whoever is going to be the leader of the football operation going forward. So one of the topics that I've been um, discussing on radio and on the podcast over the last week is just, you know, where the importance of a rebrand um, should rank on people's priority lists. I haven't been presumptuous enough to tell anybody what to think. I mean, I put a poll out there and 56% said it should be way high on the list and 80% should said, said it should be on the list. Um, where do you think it should be? I'm not a person who's caught up with that. Um, I I don't, I mean, I, I'm not dismissing anybody who thinks it's important. I mean, if you think it's important to you, that is, that means it's important. Like that, you know, if you, if you hate the nickname and you feel like it's like holding the team back in some way, um, or it affects your, uh, your enjoyment of following the team, then that's, that's absolutely your right. I do think you have to understand a rebrand is not going back to the old nickname. I mean, that's just just anybody who's caught up with that idea needs to understand that that's not going to happen. I was, I think, in the minority um, of advocating, you know, slightly mildly. But if I had to pick a side, I, I liked the Washington football team name. Um, it felt like a kind of European, you know, English Premier League uh, soccer name to me. I had no no issue with it. But in terms of Kevin, for me, um, and I'm sure I've said this to you before, like the three most important things about this franchise have been owner, stadium, and quarterback in some order. And I think it's for me, it's probably that order: owner, stadium, quarterback. So I, I you know, put the put the rebrand well, well, well behind those three things now. It looks like that first, the first most important issue is being taken care of with Josh Harris's purchase of the team. The stadium, I think, is enormously, enormously important because for so long people have said, I, you know, among the reasons I'm losing interest in this fan base is I hate going to that place and the game day experience stinks and it's just generic. And I, I used to have such an affection for the place that they play. Now I hate the place that they play. Um, and then the quarterback thing is like, 
you know, Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, and, and I think that's a big reason why he should be considered one of the greatest coaches ever because, you know, Bill Belichick can't say that. Um, it, that's an amazing accomplishment, but the inherent instability at that position for, you know, whatever, 40 years um, it has held this, this place back. So if you want to get caught up in, in the nickname, that is totally, 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 you're right. And, and I get it. It's just, it's not anywhere near the top of my priority list. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like that, that answer because I think that's the right answer. I think it's a very personal and subjective thing. And if people uh, like me are for um, a rebrand and, and I would go back to Washington being the central theme of the brand, I would, uh, and it matters to me, um, that's fine. And for people who don't list it anywhere on a, on a list of priorities, that's fine too. Um, it's been... Um, it's been interesting, though, to watch uh, that uh, conversation. All right, last one on the football team, and then I just want to finish up with some golf. So your guess today uh, where the new stadium is built and by when? So I am, like, I really am in the midst of trying to do some more reporting on this because my romantic and instinctive um, notion is I, I want the stadium – I, I just feel like that is. I lost. I lost you there for a second. Be. What did you say? I oh. want the stadium where? At the RFK. Site. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, I I feel like that's the place that will alienate nobody. It will excite almost everybody. And as somebody who lives in the in the ward in the district board six that 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 site falls in, um, I know that there is opposition not just on the D.C. Council broadly, which there is, but there's also opposition from um, Council Member Charles Allen, uh, who, who is the Council Member for Ward 6. Mm-hmm. I want to learn and, and study a little bit more about what are those reservations. Is it, is it just a Dan Snyder owned this team and, and this has such a negative um, kind of connotation that um, we're just knee-jerk against... Um, the stadium being here, um, and maybe some of that can go away with some death handling um, by Josh Harris and, and, you know, shaking the right hands and slapping the right backs, or they're real, real kind of community issues for for not wanting it here. Um, I do think that, you know, Harris could, it doesn't mean he automatically will, but he could get three jurisdictions that were trying to distance themselves from Dan Snyder flip them into three jurisdictions that are trying to woo Josh Harris, like that that's possible. Um, I don't know, you know, there are some major hurdles to getting it in the district, not least of which is the, the district doesn't um, doesn't control the land at the RFK site. Um, but I, I'm completely against uh, kind of a Loudoun County or exurban Virginia right. site for the stadium um, because I feel like that kind of repositions everybody has their habits and what they're used to and what they're willing to go through um, to go to a game. And the FedEx site is as much as people hate going there. It's a known commodity. I know how I'm going to get there. I know what parking is like. I know what I'm going to have to battle in terms of traffic. I, I think if you take, if you put it out in Prince William County or Loudoun County or, or some of these outer Virginia counties, 
you're you're totally alienating your your at least your Prince George's County fan base, which is not insignificant. Um, you could be, you know, alienating your district fan base. Um, and there's no there's nothing to be said that where you plop the stadium down out in next urban Virginia, that those people will be like, awesome. I'm going to all these games. I'm buying season tickets. So I, I am, I, I don't know about the timeline. I think sooner, you know, is, is much more possible with Harris than it would be with Snyder. Um, but I, I have this romantic and historic notion that, man, it would be cool to get a, a, a stadium, a modern stadium on that RFK it'd, site. It'd be awesome. All right. Uh, Brooks Kepka yesterday um, in the PGA Championship wins his fifth major. Uh, there is There are many storylines off of this, obviously, a live tour player winning, but Kepka winning his fifth major. Let's start there because only 20 players in the history of the game have won five or more majors. Uh, what did he accomplish yesterday? Well, it's it's remarkable because he now becomes, um, you know, he's he's equaled players like Seve Ballesteros at, at five majors, and he's one short of Phil Mickelson, other greats of, you know, all-time greats. But I think it also, um, put the Wiv stuff aside, um, he had been a guy who won four majors, very compressed period of time, 2017-18, um, two PGAs and two U.S. Opens. Um, and and he was like, it was it was as if he was kind of on a heater there, like he was just playing lights out. And then he got hurt, and he couldn't compete. And if you've watched the, the PGA Tour all-access thing from last year, I mean, I thought the Kepka um, uh, – episode was the most interesting because he was very vulnerable. He was not able to play um, the kind of golf that he was used to play. Because and, and, you know, there's a scene there where he's saying with like his mom was there and I don't, I don't remember who else. He's like, well, who's the best player in the, in the world right now? Scotty Scheffler. I can't compete with Scotty Scheffler. And what we learn now is, is a healthy Brooks Kepka yeah. can compete with anybody. He's also coming off, you know, a, a tie for second at the Masters, in which he led after each of the first three rounds. Um, so he he can do it, and now everything is in front of him. He's not been hampered by the obviously weaker competition at um, at the Live events, fifty four hole events. Um, he is he's a, a a just a keen competitor, extremely talented, has all all the shots, and I think. He's the one person who comes off that live tour is like, I, no, I can still, I'm going to be in these majors because I'm winning these majors. Or I'm contending in these majors. So my status in the world rankings doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, I think his, his future got very, very, very interesting over the weekend. Yeah. I, I, um, like, I don't even know who the comp is for him. You know, right now it would be like playoff Jimmy. You know, it would be like Jimmy Butler and Brooks Kepka are like the same guy. They The big events they come out for. Um, I actually think the, the way you described him uh, on full swing as vulnerable is probably the right description. Many people would use another description of him. He came off as a bit of an a-hole um, in that episode. And I think it was there was a total loss of confidence and 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 they're from the injury. Um, it's amazing um, that a guy that had won four majors and was lights out for that few year period could feel as as you described so vulnerable, so lacking in confidence. Um, 
but look out now uh, with him healthy and having you know the lead going into the final day at Augusta and and winning yesterday. But I, I don't even know who the comp is in his sport. I mean, was Nick Faldo a little bit like Kepka in that he was always big in the majors more so than he was anywhere else? So I bring this name up cautiously because I don't want to draw between Brooks Kepka and Tiger Woods, but but there is a little bit of an attitude-wise similarity there in that I mean Tiger won all these other tournaments and and but he did it in almost like an ancillary way. I mean Rory McIlroy t- tells the story of going over to to Tiger's house and he has all the um, trophies from his 15 majors in this one room um, and. And Rory said, oh, well, where are all the, I think he's won, you know, 70-something um, regular PGA Tour titles. Where are all those trophies? And he said, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, they don't yeah. matter. And that, that's a, that's a, a window into how Tiger's brain worked about the majors. Like, those are the ones that count. And I think Kepka is very much in line with that thinking. I mean, he, he, he would not care if he, never won a, a live event ever if he can get in and um, and enter the majors and contend in them. And his record, when healthy and being in contention, is pretty phenomenal. So I'm not, I'm not saying that Brooks Kepka is a comp for Tiger Woods, but I think there's an attitude there that's very, very similar and really intriguing um, because – Nobody's going to watch him on the live tour, uh, I mean, which comes to D.C. this week. And, right. and his appearance here makes it a little more intriguing. But but when he shows up, you know, at the next major, the U.S. Open at um, Los Angeles Country Club in, in June, a lot of eyes will be on him. And rightfully so, because his expectation is to be able to contend that week because he's healthy again. And, and these are the tournaments that matter to him. Uh, what did it mean for Live Golf yesterday? I, I think it's you know it's legitimizing. It's it's um, and and that's you know there Bryson DeChambeau was up there all weekend and um, and uh, Cam Smith came back yesterday. Like they're not showing as poorly as I expected them to. Honestly, um, I will say that um, the number of their players who can contend in these things and can even get into them. Like, you know, we're never going to see Ian again. We're never going to see Lee Westwood again. Like, there are, there are names from the past who took the live money and to um, a sunset of their career in irrelevance. Sunset in irrelevance, but nonetheless not, not a factor in anybody's mind. Those top five to seven players, um, Dustin Johnson... Cam Smith, we're, we're going to hear more from in, in majors, I'm, I'm sure. Um, even Patrick Reed. Um, they, they have shown well in the first two majors of this year. And I think it'll be a fascinating question about what the PGA of America does in terms of allowing um, live players on uh, the Ryder Cup team this, this fall in Rome. Um, because if you're, there's no way that... Uh, Zach Johnson, the captain of the U.S. team, could sit down and say, "Okay, I've got wild card picks here. Um, I don't think Brooks Kepka is deserving of one because he he absolutely is." Yeah, right. Um, all right. Uh, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Kevin.
Barry's Verluga, everybody. And I know his phone was breaking up there a little bit at the end. Um, we were having some issues, and he uh, he did everything to try to find a place where it was as smooth as it could be. And I think we uh, worked it out for 95% of that conversation. I always enjoy talking to Barry about almost anything. Uh, up next, uh, did you hear about the lawsuit that Brian Davis, remember Brian Davis, the guy that was interested in buying uh, the football team for $7 billion? Well, he's brought a lawsuit uh, against Bank of America uh, having something to do with uh, the sale of the commanders. Uh, Neil in Rockville, uh, one of our legal uh, contributors, will jump on with us next to explain right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This segment of the show is presented by MyBookie. Use my promo code KevinDC for a chance at boosted odds using the MyBookie money bag. Uh, getting started is simple. Sign up today at MyBookie. Use my promo code KevinDC to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. Again, you've got to use my promo code Kevin DC to claim your bonus. Whether you're a diehard or a casual fan, simply put, there's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting with my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Jumping on with us right now is one of our legal contributors to the show, Neil and Rockville, at Neil N. Rockville uh, on Twitter. Um, I think at this point, most uh, of the people listening, Neil, have read this story that I think broke on Friday afternoon or Friday night um, that Brian Davis, the gentleman who uh, reportedly uh, was offering $7 billion plus to buy the Washington Commanders and then went on local radio with the sports junkies uh, and pitched his wares, um, he is now, according to reports, seeking $500 billion, $500 billion in damages from Bank of America. Before you explain this lawsuit to all of us, if that's what it is, what is the largest lawsuit? Do you have any idea what the largest you know, seeking in damages in a lawsuit that there's ever been? I have no idea, but I'm going to go just thinking off the top of my head, if you're talking about amounts in the, at the time in those, in the dollars, my guess it's going to be something like the Bhopal India 
case where there was, I forget the U.S. Uh, chemical company um, killed thousands and thousands in India. My guess is it's going to be something like that. Or, sort of in the United States, if you put together all the asbestos litigation that's been going on over the past right. decades and decades and decades, that's probably the largest with regards to an American. But what? But what? What is? Company. How many billions? It's not five hundred billion, no, is it? No. Okay. So and, we... and, and no, not five hundred billion. And the the five the reporting from the weekend is 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 actually as far as I can tell, and I think other people who have looked at this subsequently is actually incorrect. Okay. Um, there is no $500 billion loss. Okay, then what are we talking about here? Let's, uh, okay. Because I, I, the headline was, obviously, and everybody saw this, Brian Davis suing Bank of America for $500 billion. So what actually um, is going on with Brian Davis and Bank of America, if anything? Okay, so just to put in context, that, that $500 billion number, the reason that came out and that you know caught everybody's attention was the court system and the lawsuit in question was filed in the U.S. District Court out of Greenbelt. There's a cover sheet when you go on to the electronic uh, case file system, and on the front of the sheet, it indicates the suit is for $500 billion. It's a little. It's unclear. Um, no one can quite tell at the moment how that got there was it a clerical mistake or did when when um davis's attorney filed the action you have to file an information sheet basically a lot of information on what the substance and claim and your your ultimate um request for damages is and maybe maybe his attorney put in 500 million dollars to you know get further publicity or something like that but in the in the actual lawsuit there is nothing even close to 500 billion dollars and in fact there's not even really a specific amount of money cuz in in a lot of ways this isn't a case of for damages it's not a it's not a breach of contract case it's a, it's a lawsuit by urban echo energy llc which is allegedly company. in the complaint is owned by Brian Davis yeah so it's not even Davis suing Bank of America. Right. It's Urban Echo. And what they're, what they're really trying to do is they're trying to get back some promissory notes, or actually some, a bank, some bank drafts that um, it sounds like Urban Echo forwarded to Bank of America mm-hmm. to be deposited in a Bank of America account under their name, which would, I guess, be the, docu- the monies showing that they had the ability to make their um, ultimate $7.1 billion offer, um, which we heard about and then, you know, heard on the radio from uh, Brian Davis on uh, 106.7. So what what they're really trying to do is they're trying to either get them to deposit it or to return the bank drafts. Mm -hmm. And it's very strange. It's, It's a, the bank drafts are not from Urban Echo Energy. They're actually bank drafts from reporting, and A.J. Perez, as well as uh, Daniel Walk, is, have done a bunch, and I've sort of followed them and, and, and sort of added to what they've looked at. But can I just stop you for one sure. second? Because I think you're maybe burying the lead here. 
you're saying that they want the promissory, the promissory note or the bank drafts back from Bank of America. They're not looking for their $7 billion back. They're looking for something that says, oh, we promise to give you $7 billion if we get the team. They don't have... You know, the, the idea that they've got $7 billion in cash was always kind of laughable, right? So didn't you just essentially say that they didn't actually open up an account with Bank of America putting the money in there. They just put a couple of promissory notes in there. No, no, no. So, so okay. what they did Sorry. actually, they tried to open an account with Bank of America. They, so they opened an account, and then they tried to fund the account with these drafts. But what happened well, what, was... What do you when, mean, what is a draft? Okay, a draft is basically a check. I mean, it's, a fa- it's another term for a check. Okay. But the check is not from Echo. The check is from the estate of uh, this, this gentleman by the name of uh, Severino Garcia mm-hmm. uh, Roma- Romana, okay. which has so it's 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 not even from echo uh, so they're trying to take someone else's check put it into an account and then use that account to show the basis that they have that much money this may have been one so, of those italians or sicilians that he white people that he had well, as investors well, when he the interesting discussed thing that about on the junkies gentleman yeah. is this gentleman according to reports and, and is tied to the CIA. He's reti- he, his, he was tied to uh, Marcos in the Philippines and missing gold. Okay. And it's, it's this long, weird um, situation. And where they got this check and how they could then sort of forward it and say it's ours is very, very strange. But what they wanted to then do is either have Bank of America basically put it in their account and then either send it back to them or send them back the, the, uh, the check unstamped. Because Bank of America, when they got it, they didn't deposit it. And that's sort of one of the things that Davis seemingly was very upset about, that they didn't deposit it. But my thought is Bank of America, when they get this check, they're like, what the heck is this check? Exactly. It's from the estate of this dead guy tied to stolen gold and Oh, the guy's Marcos. dead? The guy's dead? Huh? The guy's yeah, dead? The guy's dead, and it's from his estate. <laughs> it's not even from him. It's from his estate. Mm-hmm. And somehow they got this, this estate check. They were trying to put it into uh, Bank of America, and seemingly Bank of America said, we're not depositing that check. And that's, that's sort of what Davis at the root is trying to say, well, you you damaged me by not putting the check in and therefore not, you know, giving Dan, you know, ma- telling Dan that we had a viable offer. Well, um, would you have seven- considered, would you have considered a bank draft or a check for, what was the amount that he get, that he sent them? That was, so he sent two, I believe. One was for $5 billion and the other was for, um, I believe, $1 billion. So if you were Bank of America... And Brian Davis or Urban Echo sent you a check that was actually from this Severino uh, character who's dead um, and said deposit it. Would you have considered that to be uh, depositable or a serious offer for the team? 
it would have raised I, I, it would have raised so many more questions than answers. Yes. Oh, I, I I'm sure that the reason Bank of America didn't cash this is it wasn't a direct check from you know a the um, Brian Davis Brian Davis's corporation. There's probably significant questions of whether or not someone who's the trustee of the estate, you know, where this where these funds really came from. Right. And thirdly, I guess one of the problems is is if you then put it in the account that they opened up, well, then they could basically use that money however they want because it's technically their account. So, you know, I don't want to say it would have washed the check, but, you know, it, it would have made it those pro, that $5 billion available to Davis and his people, even if the, the, the uh, sale went down, they'd still have you know, this $5 billion in a uh, Bank of America account that they could arguably use for anything. So, so Davis is just suing to get the actual check back? Why don't they just tell him, yeah, no, we just ripped it up? We didn't take it seriously. Um, well, I think he wants the check back because he might want Was to... Was it a cashier's check? Um, it's a bank draft, so basically okay. it's from Citibank, which is a valid... I mean, it's a valid check that basically is like a cashier's check or a bank check. Got it. So it has this, it has, it's, it's basically the equivalent of cash. Uh-huh. Um, oh, okay. He wants it back so he could maybe deposit it somewhere else and use it for other things. Because um, otherwise, like you said, he could have just said, well, tear it up. But he wants it back and he wants it back unstamped. And when he wants it back unstamped, and this is all in the lawsuit, which is interesting. He, that way he could arguably deposit it, you know, someplace else in a different account or and have access to that money for something else. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I would wonder where, how he got access to it. Yes, I mean, that is, a, that is a serious question, and I'm sure that is being looked at by bank regulators and maybe others. Um, maybe the, the tr- maybe the trustees of the Severino, uh, you know, yeah, estate. That could, yes, that, that as well. Um, the one aspect in the lawsuit that is is of importance for all of us who have sort of been following, you know, what it takes to actually make a bid for a NFL team. He states, or the, the lawsuit states, that the offer in this case was made not by Brian Davis. The offer to buy was by Urban Echo Energy, right. LLC, which, as we, are, you know, we know from other aspects, you can't use foreign and sovereign money and you can't use private equity firms or really corporations to make the bid, they have to be individual. So it doesn't even seem like it was a realistic offer under the requirements of the NFL and what they required to make an offer on the team. All right. Um, Bottom line is this is going nowhere as far as the sale of the team goes. This isn't going to, you know, prevent it from moving forward at the pace that it's moving forward at. No, because, I mean, originally, over, before the weekend, it sounded like people were reporting, and I was sort of following the reporting, that there was a request for what's called a temporary restraining order, that there was potential that the sale could be held up by, by the courts while this made its way through the system. But, but there's nothing like that in this lawsuit. Um, it's truly just between Urban Echo and Bank of America, at this point in time, so it doesn't look like it's going to have any potential effect on the progress of the sale 
um, to Harris's group. All right. Uh, good job. Anything else that you want to share with us that uh, that is sports related? Washington Commanders football team related? Nothing at this point. All right. Relatively quiet, but I'm sure. So- Listen, it's it's early in the morning, so who knows by the end of the day. All right. Uh, I will see you actually tonight at I, Tommy's event. Um, exactly. Looking forward Curve to balls that. Curveballs and cigars and curveballs. That's right. At Shelly's back room. Uh, come down and see us. All right. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. You got it. All right. That's it for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.